0: Welcome to our Melanin Hughes podcast. We are women of color who are physicians and psychologists empowering our communities through candid conversations about their physical and emotional health. I am one of your hosts, Dr. Eunice Blackman.
1: Hi, and I'm Dr. Kenesha Campbell.
2: Hi, Dr. Leela Morrow. Hi, Dr. Chanel Richards.
0: Hey, ladies, welcome back. I am so happy to see you ladies. What has everybody been up to?
1: Hey Eunice, it's great to be here. Um, you know, working, traveling, living life—just the normal stuff.
0: Yeah, I know you've been doing quite a bit traveling. I wish I had that life. (laughs) Instead, being mom and working—nothing exciting.
1: Post-college kid life, you know—that's how it is. I've already earned my stripes.
0: It is Black History Month and National Eating Disorders Awareness Week, so we're going to shine a light on eating disorders in the black and brown communities today. Did you guys know that eating disorders are the second deadliest mental health disorder? Eating disorders impacts about 9% of the population nationwide. And if I was to say the word eating disorder, people would not picture a black or brown girl because the media has often showed us pictures of a skinny, white, affluent girl. But eating disorders do not discriminate. It doesn't care about your age, your weight, your gender. If you're Caucasian, Black, or Hispanic, everybody or anybody can have an eating disorder. In fact, people of color are about 50% of the time diagnosed
1: and treated for eating disorders. So ladies, let me
0: hear your thoughts on eating disorders today.
1: Well, um, I can say that I'm not surprised. Um, So I'm an adolescent medicine physician. So I specialize in eating disorders and I also practice primary care. So I often am the first one to detect And eating disorder um, in my patients, oftentimes unbeknownst to the caregiver. So eating disorders are extremely common. They're extremely deadly, not just for mental health disorders, but even when you look at um, physical disorders, such as cancer, eating disorders kill more than cancer does. And folks don't really take them as seriously as they should be taken. So I'm glad that you shared these statistics. It's really important to get this information out into the public. In the Black community and Brown communities, um, like you said, I definitely see in practice that still a lot of parents of Black and Brown children often will minimize eating disorder signs and symptoms or disregard them because they don't quote unquote believe in them. But they are real disorders. They are mental Disorders, um, and it's something that is not in the control of the child or the teenager. Um, So that's important for folks to know. It's not something that they're uh, making up or they can just will away. It's a true disorder, just like if they had depression or bipolar disorder.
0: I'm glad you said that eating disorders is a mental disorder because I think when we hear that term, we just think it's something that's physical and not necessarily anything that has to do with our mental health. Since you gave us a pretty good description of what eating disorders are, can you tell us about the different types of um, eating disorders?
1: Um, yes. Yeah. So there are many types of eating disorders. The ones that present the most frequently in kids and um, adolescents are the restrictive eating disorders. Um, those are the eating disorders that people typically think of, the ones where you actually are either very underweight or you have lost unhealthy amounts of weight in a short time period. So the most common restrictive eating disorders are anorexia nervosa, which most people are aware of. What most people aren't aware of is that the diagnostic criteria for anorexia nervosa changed um, several years ago and you no longer, you, know, you don't have to be that super skinny, underweight person, you actually just have to be underweight based on your growth trajectory. So if you had been a child that lived at a body mass index at 85th percentile and you dropped the 50th percentile in six months, you could still meet the criteria for anorexia nervosa, even though your 50th percentile, which people would look at and say was still healthy. And the reason is because that rapid amount of weight loss, regardless of where it ended, can lead to multi-organ dysfunction. That's what we worry about in restrictive eating disorders. It's really that multi-organ dysfunction um, that can lead to uh, hospitalization and ultimately potentially like multi-organ failure. Other eating disorders um, that are common are... People also know about bulimia, nervosa. So bulimia is basically both binge eating, um, which means that you just eat an abnormally high amount of food in a specified period of time, more than anyone would really eat in a specified period of time. And that needs to be followed by a purge where you... Perform some compensatory behavior to get rid of what you just ate. That could be vomiting, uh, that could be fasting, that could be overexercising, that could be laxative use. Anything that you do to get rid of those calories after you've taken them in uh, would be a purge. Um, And people with bulimia don't have to be underweight. You can be um, any weight um, and have that disorder. People with anorexia can also have purging, but the primary sign of anorexia is restrictive eating and not the purging. Whereas for bulimia, it's binge eating and purging. So they are different disorders. You see them in kids typically who have different underlying psychiatric conditions often. There's also another very common eating disorder that is seen in children and adolescents called ARFID or avoidant restrictive food intake disorder. So in that disorder for Various reasons such as food phobias or a phobia of vomiting or picky eating or, you know, there are so many different things. These kids or adolescents are not able to maintain a healthy weight due to inadequate nutrition, but it's not in any way related to their body image at all they're not intentionally losing weight. Uh, It really is related to something else, but they're not able to really maintain a healthy weight. And those kids a lot of times tend to have like underlying anxiety or um, OCD and things of that nature. And that's also a very common disorder.
0: Great. Now, how can a parent tell if their child may be suffering from an eating disorder?
1: I think if you notice that your child is playing around with their food at the table, not completing their meals, they make excuses when it's time to eat meals and they're skipping meals. If you notice that your child is running to bathroom after eating, if you notice your child is losing weight and you have no idea why they're losing weight, um, that's a sign that you know they may actually have an eating disorder. Is your child all of a sudden getting tired easily or is their mood changing? Are they more irritable? Is your child complaining of headaches often and they never had headaches before? Is your child complaining of feeling dizzy or lightheaded with standing or walking or running around. Oftentimes this child may like be isolated in the room and the parent uh, doesn't necessarily ever see the meat. There's so many different signs that your child could be suffering from an eating disorder that are similar to signs of depression or anxiety or some kind of trauma, things like that. So it is difficult to tell kind of exactly what it is. But if you see that your child is losing weight or looks a lot thinner, or you see your child is acting completely differently around foods, all of a sudden your child wants to be vegetarian or vegan and no one else is in the family, or you see that your child is restricting food groups that they weren't restricting before. Or your child is always looking in the mirror, which is a new behavior, or constantly talking about their body, their appearance becomes really paramount to them, more than normal um, for their level of development. So those are a lot of the things that come up.
0: Great, Yeah, a lot of those physical signs, as well as people stay more focused on their body shape, their body appearance. I think what's probably important to highlight as we talk about um, eating disorders, you know, we just kind of hear it. But what people don't understand is that, you know, if this goes unchecked, if it progresses, the child can experience, you know, an abnormal heart rhythm. They can experience low blood pressures or sudden cardiac death. So that's why we really want to kind of get in the habit of talking about eating disorders and knowing what they are and, you know, what to look for when we are assessing someone who may be our loved one for an eating disorder. When you ladies have a child in your office that you're concerned about that may have an eating disorder, how do you assess this patient? I know for myself, I've started asking more, does your food intake change when you feel sad or anxious or overwhelmed? You know, I kind of pry into, you know, do
1: they have any concerns about their body shape? What do you ladies do? For me, if you're just talking about routine screening at like a primary care visit, um, I just ask the child or adolescent if they're happy with their current weight or body shape or size. If they have ever done anything to intentionally lose weight, do they feel like they're eating less, they're um, hiding food, taking diet pills, Excessive exercising? Have they ever made themselves throw up? Things like that. So I ask them um, those questions directly. But honestly, I would say the main thing to look at is their growth chart. Uh, that's usually how I catch my eating disorder patients. Um, when you look at their growth chart, and you see that they have been declining on their growth percentiles that is a red flag. And you as a um, provider should ask questions when you see that someone's declining on their growth percentiles. That's usually the way I find them. People don't really ask, but you have to ask to see what's going on. Why are they losing weight? Do they even know they're losing weight? Um, And try to figure out, is it an eating disorder? Is it depression? Like, what is it that's causing them to not eat enough um, to maintain adequate weight gain as a child or a teenager, I would say those are the main things. Vital signs are important as well when you're looking at these kids. Are they bradycardic? Do they have low heart rates? Do they have low blood pressures? And then the other red flags are, you know, mood changes with the weight loss. That can be an indication as well. You know, changes in their behavior. Typically p- kids with eating disorders are not acting like themselves at all. And their parents are very concerned about their level of irritability. And usually they're not kids that tend to be irritable. They tend to be, you know, those quote unquote good kids, um, especially the ones with the restrictive eating disorders. There can be so many different signs. Um, a lot of kids are, like I said, tired a lot and no one knows why. They're feeling dizzy and lightheaded and they're getting all these headaches. When you see any of those types of kind of Physical signs, and they're having those physical complaints. It's really just important to ask questions and really pay attention to their vitals and their weight, and then you can kind of put the entire picture together.
0: And I know oftentimes our parents want to know how can they prevent something. So, how can parents prevent an eating disorder?
1: Well, I think it's eating disorder is tough because eating disorders are multifactorial, so they are partly genetic. So, you can't necessarily prevent the eating disorder. Um, Just like you can't cause the eating disorder, but you can definitely impact the pieces of the eating disorder that are more kind of environmental and social. Um, So you can impact that as a parent by one, really modeling for them, uh, positive body image, positive eating behaviors, not teasing any of your children about kind of their weight or their size and not assigning too much value to their outward appearance. So, I mean, I think all those things will really help just modeling for that child or teenager, kind of how they should be. Um, Because, you know, you can say one thing, but if you're doing another, your child is actually looking at what you're doing and not what you're saying. So it's really important for us, especially living in this world of diet culture, to model for our kids what kind of healthy body image and healthy eating looks like. Um, healthy exercise habits, that's one of the things we can do. Cause definitely a lot of my patients, the parents don't model that, which, you know, I have also been at fault in terms of that with, you know, random diets and, you know, always talking about my weight and things like that around my child. And they pick up on those things. If they're a child that's at risk of developing an eating disorder, then that's not going to be helpful. Um, But I do want parents to know that it's not their fault if their child gets an eating disorder. So there's not really something that you did that caused your child to get one, because if they're at risk of getting one, like something's probably going to, you know, set them up where they're going to get it. We don't want to be the ones to be that trigger for their eating disorder.
0: Yeah. And so also, if you are in a crisis or you know someone who's in a crisis and need help immediately, you can contact the National Eating Disorders Association. They also go by NIDA. You can text them at 741-741. You can also call them at 1-800-931-2237. They also offer an online chat Monday through Thursday from 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. Eastern time and on Fridays from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. Eastern time. So check out those resources if you should
1: ever need help or know someone who needs the help. Absolutely, Eunice. And you also can talk to your child's doctor. Please bring it up with them. If you're concerned, then there's probably something to be concerned about. And if you're really concerned that your child is ill and not doing well, then you can just take your child into the hospital's emergency room like you would if they were sick with a fever and trouble breathing. Um, So you can bring them into the emergency room if you're really worried about kind of weight loss um, and you think things are really not going well for your child. So um, you definitely have those options as well.
0: So this has been a great discussion about eating disorders, but what treatment options are available for someone who may be suffering from an eating disorder?
1: That's a great question, Eunice. Um, When I see uh, patients in my clinic, it really all depends on how physically ill they are. So if you see a child or adolescent and they are medically stable, so that means that they have relatively normal heart rates and blood pressures, um they haven't been passing out, their EKGs or their heart rhythms are normal, they're not, you know, actively vomiting with abnormal electrolytes, things like that. If they're medically stable, then we typically will do outpatient treatment. Our primary goal is usually to keep the child or adolescent in their home with their families, if that's possible. The most evidence-based treatment for restrictive eating disorders in children and adolescents is family-based treatment. Um, And that treatment really involves a treatment team, including a medical provider, a behavioral health provider, and a nutritionist. And they work together to help the parents to basically take over feeding and refeed their child back to health. And it's that's usually a pretty long process, like a six to 12 month process um, to really get them back on track depending on how much weight they lost. If that's not enough or if that doesn't work, there are other types of treatment. So there's cognitive behavioral therapy that's really focusing on the actual child or adolescent and not their family Um, which is not as effective. And then there's dialectical behavioral therapy, which is also focusing on the child or adolescent and not the family. Um, And that's typically used in kids who are more resistant to treatment or have more complex psychiatric illness. There's also different levels of care. So you can do the weekly treatment or you can do more kind of intensive outpatient treatments, which are treatments where kids are, you know, in therapy for all day, So like eight to five, Monday through Friday, or it can be three days a week. So it's just more intensive treatment where they have group in addition to individual um, treatment. They have supervised meals, potentially with people who who are trained to coach them through meals. There are those levels of care as well. They can also go to a residential treatment where they're actually living in a facility that treats patients with eating disorders. And they will, you know, get those intensive treatments every single day until they get to a point where they are able to step down into a less intensive treatment, like intensive outpatient or regular outpatient. Um, Now, if a patient is medically unstable vital signs are abnormal, they can't tolerate eating, they're vomiting, their electrolytes are abnormal, their EKGs um, or heart rhythms are abnormal, then they actually have to be admitted to the hospital. So the medical hospital for medical stabilization and that hospitalization, you'll basically decide what level of care they need uh, depending on how they respond to nutrition during the hospitalization.
2: Thank you so much, Kenesha. That was such a great overview of what eating disorders are, uh, signs and symptoms to look for, how to help our families, and then doing such a comprehensive overview of different treatment modalities. I'm sorry I'm a little late to this conversation, ladies, but I did want to add in a few things around some of the things that come up in my office and my practice when working with patients with eating disorders. Um, so specifically targeting our black and brown communities, you know, I think one of the things as Kanisha mentioned and Eunice too, you know it's not uh, something that's well known, or there's almost like it doesn't happen in our community. Um, and I do want to address that, you know, just being Indian and, and hearing, you know, those messages around eating um, really blunt comments sometimes like, oh, you look like you've gained a little bit of weight or, you know, you look so thin, you should you should eat. And those internal messages I think can really affect the psyche or beliefs about ourselves, about our bodies. So we need to be really cautious about some of those comments that we make to our children and adolescents. It's such a prime time in development for children and adolescents to want validation from their adult caregivers in their life. So when those kinds of comments are made, that can sometimes sort of trigger or set up the stage for the child to believe, oh, I don't look good, or I need to lose weight, or I need to gain weight. A lot of situations with um, young girls with eating disorders, it's a way to emotionally cope with maybe some stressors that are going on. Clinically, when I really worked with this population, I would see similar traits around perfectionism, an emphasis on the body. So if you are doing any sports, uh, such as ballet, any kind of dance, other type of athletes, this can run high within that specific sub subgroup. So just look out, look out to see what your kids are doing as Kanisha mentioned. and along those lines, you know some of the behaviors, covert exercise, I think is one of them. I remember working with some patients uh, who would say, you know, after everybody's in bed, I will stay up and exercise in my room. Pay attention to what your children are doing. Even if you fall asleep, sometimes before them, set an alarm, do a check, open their door slightly, see what they might be up to. I think following a good routine around healthy eating and healthy exercise, all of that can be fine in well, but we really need to help guide and monitor our younger people. And then the final point that I wanted to make was around social media. I think we are seeing that new way of adolescents getting validation, you know, from the influencers to using filters to people having their makeup and hair done at all times. This is not the standard ideal of beauty. This is not how people look in their everyday life. So please to the parents out there who are listening to this. I highly recommend, as I've said before, to look at your child's social media profile. Who are they following? What are they doing? What TikTok videos are they watching? There's so much misinformation out there that is specifically posted by young people themselves. And again, it's that self-fulfilling validation that, oh, I want to look like her, so this is what I'm going to do. And I think that is sort of an unspoken issue within the Black and brown community because, People need that external validation. They may not be getting it in their direct school environment or from their peers. And as we've seen through the pandemic, that aspect of social isolation, I think we really saw many more children, adolescents being diagnosed with eating disorders. Uh, we were really busy treating these kids. So those are some of the tips around prevention. And then for intervention, as Kanisha mentioned, I worked with family-based treatment for the younger kids for ARFID, avoidant restrictive food intake disorder too. It really is a family-based approach. It really is plating your kids' food, supervising them, watching them, you know, after they're eating, providing that support, increasing exposure around eating a variety of foods focusing on the fats and proteins, because that is gonna refuel your brain, that's gonna refuel your body. Um, So those are some of the things around intervention. I really enjoyed listening into this conversation, ladies. Let's keep it going. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. We continue our passion on mental health in our
0: community. We look forward to bringing you more exciting episodes, If you want to reach out to us, please reach out at MelanHughesPodcast.com. You can also reach us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Podcast. Have a good day, everybody.